0: Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by the incredible television series Black Mirror. Black Mirror is the smash hit television drama that The New Yorker has called the Twilight Zone for the digital age. Season 3 starts streaming on Netflix this Friday, October 21st. We are going to be talking about it on today's episode. And if you're worried about catching up, Netflix has seasons 1 and 2 available now. And there's only seven episodes to catch up on in total. But since Black Mirror are self-contained stories, you can jump right in at any episode. As Charlie Brooker, the show's creator, put it, each episode has a different cast a different setting even a different reality but they're all about the way we live now follow black mirror on facebook at black mirror netflix once again six original stories of the critically acclaimed black mirror will be available this friday october 21st on netflix get psyched
1: i need to have to
0: clear the room stand up and walk now. hello and welcome to the watch my name is chris ryan i am an editor at the com, and joining me in the studio he just drove in in an invisible car it's andy greenwald that
1: was my favorite part of the episode
0: yeah it was a good episode we're talking about atlanta today we're talking about black mirror which comes back black mirror full disclosure is sponsoring our podcast today
1: which is terrific because black mirror is great yeah, well. I mean, I would have said that anyway. Yeah. I was prepared to say that, but now I'm like, it's super great.
0: Uh, and we will also be talking about the latest Jimmy World Record, Integrity Blues, which comes out Friday. Also
1: very on brand. For Black Mirror to be secretly disrupting our podcast by giving us money,
0: it's not. Just, it's not disrupting if it's just sponsorship, right? It's not. I don't think so. I'm pretty into things that are disruptors. Are
1: you? What are you trying to disrupt? <laughs> I'm, trying to,
0: I'm trying to disrupt your day right now. First, we're going to talk though about uh, the disruption of the superhero film. Oh, damn, Chris, you're good at this. Uh, it is. We're talking about Logan, which is the. All, by all accounts, final sure. Wolverine movie uh-huh. starring Hugh Jackman. Definitely. Uh, directed by James Mangold. It is coming out next year. Trailer dropped today. Mm-hmm. They they broke out the Johnny, Johnny Cash Hurt, so yeah. you know that shit is good. If you put Hurt in your trailer, mm-hmm. you can't be lower than a 6 out of
1: 10. Did you see the super cut? You could
0: literally have Paul Giamatti filing his nails, (laughs) and if you have Hurt playing, (laughs) I'm going to probably be like, yeah, I'll go see that. But this looks great. Do
1: you remember the trailer for the Ashton Kutcher Katie Heigl movie, where they played like assassins, and the trailer had Johnny Cash's Hurt in it? Yeah. Did they? Wait. But someone, could someone, one I listeners? I remember that movie, but did they <laughs> will you make a supercut? Supercut of that and see uh, if it
0: works. I would have seen that movie. I like both Kutch and Katie. Um, anyway, let's get to this Logan trailer. Uh they talked jim Mang- james jim mangled
1: <laughs> i went there to be clear he does seem to be go by jim okay I mean, james we,
0: Mangold. i guess i just like read read too many blogs where i'm like jim old jim Mangold behind the camera again uh james mangled really wanted to make his version of a wolverine movie i think that they were kind of like we have accrued all this goodwill
1: because he and, made the last one too he made yeah the and that wolverine. was like
0: a i think that they, that was the the World, of what one set in Japan? Yeah, um, and I think that they had wanted that to be even edgier than maybe it was, yes. and I think that they really pushed this. I'm not sure if it's R, but I think they. I'm pretty sure it is.
1: Yeah, and I think also. It was basically like Hugh Jackman was like I want out and they were like we want you in (laughs) We want you to make one more and maybe show up in a couple more of these group films And so the trade-off was they would give him a little more leash. Yeah Um,
0: You know it's and here's the thing a lot of these movies, you know In a lot of ways we know what we're getting when we get a Hugh Jackman Wolverine movie And generally um,
1: we're getting a not very good film. Yeah, the first one is awful. Yes. The second one is fine. Is the
0: first one with Liev Schreiber? Yeah.
1: <laughs> Where they, like, with, fight in, like, nine wars? I, I just remember when I, I went on set of Ray Donovan a couple years ago, right before the show premiered, and I interviewed my man Liev. Big hands, by the way. Very, like, it's like shaking hands with, like, Johnny Bench's mitt. <laughs> Big guy. Uh, do you think Johnny Bench shook hands wearing his catcher's mitt? That would be a weird so. affectation. Anyway, his silence spoke volumes. Like, basically... He gave me the Ray Donovan, I'm going to fix your family and fix your face look when I asked about his experience on the set. Like, was it out Wolverine. yet? Was it already out? Oh, it had been out. It was already a, a disaster. Yeah, like, But yeah, go on.
0: So, I mean, I just, any, any one of these movies, whether it's a Batman movie or Superman movie, Wolverine movie, it's not necessarily the core property that matters. It's what you put around it. Sure. And, but you know. Kind
1: of, yeah. What kind of movie you want to make?
0: I know what it's like out on Wall Street. I know there's bull markets and bear markets, Uh but Wall Street respects bravery, and so does Hollywood.
1: Fortune favors the bold.
0: And I've been alone, (laughs) and sometimes I've had friends, but most of the time I've been alone, but I still hold my Boyd Holbrook stock. Wow. And my Boyd Holbrook stock is coming in. Yeah? This dude is playing the villain, my boy from Narcos! Narcos! is playing the villain in Logan and he's looking diesel he's looking smirky just like his boy the guy he plays in narcos he looks good he looks like he's kicking some ass i love it
1: can you imagine if the secret reveal of logan wasn't that it's kind of like an alternate universe dystopian like old man film but it was actually, season
0: three of narcos But it was voiceover
1: like <laughs> narcos and he's like some might say mutants ruled the earth I this like guy think might
0: different. have something of a sharp
1: handshake <laughs> that's <good>. yeah yeah <laughs> that's extremely boyd holbrook voice i was impressed um it's a good trailer it's a promising start for the movie and and you know, I think that in general it's interesting the the thinking behind Fox's management of the X-Men property this is this is the time when we put on like the Hollywood yeah.
0: business hat. It's also it's very Tunes is the driving cat. But it's very wait what? I am no Fox's handling of X Men is much like Tunes is in a station wagon.
1: I love first of all I love the <laughs> reference. Don't change a thing. Second, I got it. I got it now. I almost let that one go, but I was like, no, I need to be not just your co-host, but the voice of the listener, the voice of the fan. Tunes
0: is the driving cat.
1: I, that's our generation's touchstone. Oh man, we our, our listenership is skews across demographics. I, I do it for the children. Yeah. I do it for the kids. <laughs> Millennials. Um, what I want to say is, from a business perspective, it's actually kind of smart and creative. Because if you look at what you have, which is X-Men, this X-Men franchise, it is enormous. It is unwieldy. It essentially makes no sense. X-Men as a franchise is incredibly popular on the strength of two things. One, its core idea. Mm-hmm. They are quote unquote heroes with abilities, but they're hated and feared. That is a great, great concept and has lasted you know, half a century. Too, there have been moments in the history of X-Men where that th- those characters in that world have been used to great, great storytelling ends like Chris Claremont's run in the 70s or Grant Morrison's run in the 2000s but if you really drill down it's kind of nonsense. Like there are a lot of blue people. There's a lot of adventures in space for no reason for yeah. a franchise that should be earthbound. And there are a lot of different eras. And the one thing that I think has been really smart about the last few runs of the Brian you, Singer—you you're talking movies, about the X Men saga, comic books, yeah, and, how, yeah, yeah. And, a, and, and basically as an unwieldy piece of IP? The thing that the Brian Singer movies have done, and I think the first two are really good. X Men two might still be one of the might be the best superhero movie ever made. It's really good. Everything since then, I think, has been pretty poor. But the thinking was pretty good because this idea was after first class was pretty good, too. Yeah. But the idea when Singer came back was like, let's steer into this mess that we've re- somehow repeated in the, co- in the movies that exist in the comic books, which is, what is this continuity anyway? So they've made this idea instead where they make, we'll make a 70s X-Men story, an 80s they, X-Men they story. They switch
0: the timeline, yeah.
1: And they, they're like, we'll tell this version of an X-Men story. Right. And all of that is, is a way of saying, I like this as a way to make superhero movies because... The uh, you know the the Marvel movies are essentially all the same movie and they're very enjoyable and there's shades of gray where a Thor movie isn't exactly Captain America movie but there's still quirks the same level of almost violence or whatever. In a, the best case scenario, I like the idea that that, that Fox is like we're going to tell a you know an out there time travel story and then with this property with with the Wolverine property we're going to adapt this Mark Miller story Old Man Logan, which is from uh, 2008. Which is basically imagines a dystopian future where Wolverine, we won't spoil anything if they're doing it in the movie, but at some point in the past, Wolverine did something truly horrific and walked away from being Wolverine, right? And is sort of drawn back in. Okay, um, I mean, I think it's a, it's a cool idea. It's like a, it's it's like a, it's kind of more Kurosawa-ish, and I'm sure that's what Mangold wanted to do, like the last Ronin, the last Samurai kind of thing. Yeah. Um, getting Patrick Stewart back of the car yeah and you know what?
0: I think that this is also outside of the comic books I mean outside of like what you're talking about within the narrative of the X-Men that stretches out across decades is this is shit Deadpool taught us they found out see comic book movies now have been around for long enough that you actually have a large enough audience of people who actually like the characters and their roots in their comic book stories and the attributes that those characters have and maybe even some of the edgy behavior that happens Mm -hmm. in there that you don't have to soften the blow to get a mass audience. Mm -hmm. Like, comic book culture is mainstream culture. So you can make something like this, you can make something like Deadpool that actually might have what would have been considered maybe in 2004 you know, a little bit of a curveball approach. And people might actually just be like, this is the last Hugh Jackman movie. I want to see something with like some emotional stakes that isn't always like, hit the reset button, everything's
1: fine. He's a good actor who can do that. He is a character that can actually bear up under some more intense, dramatic storytelling. Mangold, your guy Jim, is a really good filmmaker trying trying to make it work in the studio system. Um, But I also, before we move on, I want to hit that point, which I think was a really smart one, which is if you think about the first 10 years of the superhero movie moment, so yes. beginning with beginning with X-Men in 2000 and Spider-Man um and then into the the Nolan Batman movies
0: and all the Marvel stuff,
1: yeah. But leading into that certainly mm-hmm. there was still this idea that we had to convince people that this was grown-up entertainment yeah, on some exactly. level. It had to be serious because, you know, the even if it didn't exist in the contemporary imagination, it still existed in studio imagination you had to avoid being the 1960s Batman show. Mm -hmm. You had to avoid quote-unquote comic book, even though people who have read comic books have long since moved past that idea. But the idea of letting light back in, Logan's not the example of that, but letting different shades in, letting things be like Deadpool, letting them be funny, letting them be uh, self-referential and make fun of the concept and not just accept the idea it should be people punching and then a city dropping and the heroes emerging star of triumphant. Yeah. Um, It took way too long, I think, for people to realize that okay we understand the rules now we un- we accept this so what else can we do here yeah um let's move on talk a oh, little bit up. although i do want to say i preferred the guardians of the galaxy volume 2 trailer do you really i, I thought that mo- i think that's probably the best marvel movie it was really fun really the first one yeah okay you were out on that i'm not out on it i thought it was delightful i don't like what pratt's doing with the sideburns <laughs> that that is weird that hugh, hugh jackman
0: finally solved his sideburn yeah, problem just and as he passed pratt, to pratt, just pratt. took him on um, okay, let's just talk briefly about this episode of Atlanta. Typically, we spend a lot more time talking about mm-hmm. it. I wouldn't say that this was a bad episode of Atlanta by any stretch of the imagination. No. I quite enjoyed it. It's just like, I don't think there's a ton to talk about about it. Uh, there, it was basically like a sort of weird riff on Alice, Alice in Wonderland as he like sort of goes down the rabbit hole of this club. I, um, I
1: like that. I, I think that this was, it's funny, when you've raised the bar so high and you've been so formally inventive to go back to an episode that it was probably what we would have imagined after one or two weeks, Atlanta, a boilerplate Atlanta it, episode would should be. This have, should
0: have been, it could have been episode four.
1: Yes, yeah. exactly right. And I think that that said, it's just that our expectations are almost way too high because if the idea of the show without the inventiveness that they've done the last three, three weeks was, let's come up with an idea, a concept, let's throw our characters into it, and let's see how it shakes out. Yeah. I mean, it was essentially a bottle episode or a bottle service episode. There, there you go. Um, And it was, I I think the only thing was, it was almost jarring to see us go back to this narrative where Earn is trying to manage his cousin's career and it's not going great. Yeah. The benefits of that were we saw Darius back and we haven't had him do much. (laughs) Darius asking, how
0: do you bounce a bouncer? (laughs)
1: Darius (laughs) is just the way that he delivered that whole scene. And then the whole thing with the invisible car. Was just that's just legitimately laugh out loud funny. The whole thing with uh, yeah tracking the club manager and the spinning of the door, the wall, the sort of shock of violence that happens times two in the episode when paperboy is just like when Ern's like I'm not like you and he's like okay I will be like me. Yeah, I have so much about the paperboy journey if you're <laughs> if you're gonna allow me to do that maybe you shouldn't has been about him being like, wait, what am I really? Like, what can I be? What should I be? And then finally he's like, OK, I can do this.
0: I really like that how every episode of Atlanta feels like a story someone's telling you. Not like a <laughs> stories, but like literally yeah. you're at a bar with a really good friend, and they're like, I have to tell you about this night I just had. Yeah. And it it just really felt like Ern telling somebody the story of his night following this club man. And, it, and even the framing device that they use at the end with with them at Waffle House or whatever like that seems like they're telling each other the stories of their night yeah. at the, and that's how the internal logic of the episode feels and so I just really enjoyed that and the invisible I, car is hilarious I just uh, you know
1: I, two other notes yeah I really liked the the woman the paperboy's flirting with and she's like what are you talking about you came here to talk to like hot women and have a good time and you did I just... I really like that line. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that was sort of a platonic ideal of what a night out could be, like, if, if you don't want to be a lunatic person, but he wanted to be a little bit more of a lunatic person. Two, um, you know what I don't like? Mm. You know what I'm just out on? What? You don't need to vomit on television. Oh, I guess so, but
0: I I, I under, I feel like it was good that, like, he was like, I hate shots. I like, mean, that was... Know,
1: it was funny. That, that in happens. The moment.
0: You know, as someone who still has a problem with shots after my 20 what would b- b- birthday do, was that? do you want
1: to talk about that party
0: i have no problem talking about it it was really <laughs> this is a thing if anybody is younger listening to our yeah. podcast because and, and listening you, to it for words of wisdom not that you would you shouldn't come to me for advice but if you if i could give you any
1: um this is a mentor mentee relationship here
0: yeah it's just that if you have a birthday party invite different like friend groups to it have someone who's kind of the shot sheriff You know what I mean? Have someone who's not designated driver. They can have a good time, too, within reason, because they're going to need to pay attention to you. Yeah. But, you know, when you hit that 23, 24, like, we're all used to being in bars legally area. Were you you
1: 24, 25 at this party?
0: I thought I was 20. I I don't think I was 22. No.
1: It was older (laughs) than that.
0: I, and I, I basically what happened was I was working at a record store, but I also had like other friend groups, and, and I had friends who I was like living with in Brooklyn, and then I had like you and, and some other friends. Right? You had
1: me, man. Although, although I, I did not. Everybody have you showed that up right. in a, like a
0: staggered fashion, is, as you're once to do in New York right? City, yeah, because nobody comes on time. And then, like, for some reason, the, like, primary, like, (laughs) affection delivery system back then was to buy shots. Let
1: me tell you, that's changed. I feel like this generation, no one does shots
0: So I still can't smell Jägermeister (laughs) without having a little bit of a gag reflex triggered. And I just distinctly remember, among other things, lying down on the floor of Hi-Fi and saying, like, this feels great. And just taking my clothes off. I didn't know you we were going to talk in about in the bathroom. This. Yeah. In the bathroom, and I think a lot of people do do that. Like when they get they get a little drunk. Dude,
1: dude, this, this is a
0: little, a little this drunk. is like Kelly, get very drunk. This is
1: like Kelly and Conway being like. People are telling me that Hillary did a bad job last night. You are just you literally just floated that like a canary in a coal. No, line.
0: it's it's a hallmark, really soothing a hallmark, to lie
1: down on a cold
0: tile floor.
1: A hallmark of young Chris Ryan having <laughs> being a bit overserved. Was that you would know if Chris started taking his clothes off.
0: Yeah. No, not in, no. You make it sound like I just started stripping in the middle of the bar. No. I
1: would be like, excuse me? To be me? clear, one of, my f- one of my most indelible memories <laughs> was at a dorm party at college. You were visiting me at Brown, and I went into, it was someone's birthday party, and I remember I went into to use the facilities, and I saw like a button down fly over the top <laughs> of the stall.
0: It gets hot. Like, it gets hot Chris, when you get drunk. What do you want me to say?
1: I was like, Chris is, Chris is feeling no pain. I also remember that's not true. That when you. I saw you your birthday, and I saw you were being very festive at the bar, and then I also remember turning to seeing you again and realizing it was the first time in my life I had seen the exact shade of pure ivory white that poachers <laughs> in Africa prize in, in elephant tusks because you did not look the color of oh, a no, normal Caucasian I did man. not.
0: I looked like Caliban from X-Men.
1: <laughs> nice way to bring it back. Yeah. Um, anyway. How <laughs> do we get on this? So, yeah, I, I just, respect throwing up. I respect it as a concept. You just don't do want to you? see it on television. I just feel like that's been... That has been overdone. I feel like people visibly vomiting on television. Like they're, you know, we're good. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. And also, every actor has had a chance now. In the way that all actresses in Hollywood... Like, right at Passage, you got to do the birth scene. And like, Is you, that like, true? I, no, but many people do. <laughs> that's a weird thing to say. <laughs> no, I feel like that's... You could do. You shouldn't, but you, there you could do a supercut of like many established actresses. Can you imagine like Hollywood fixers sitting down
0: with like uh, you know like Tessa Thompson? They're just like, you're doing great. You're doing great. Everybody's talking about you. Everybody loves you. Yeah. But you know what? Yeah. Nobody respects you. You want to know why? You haven't gone through labor on
1: screen. Look, yet. you got to do a period piece. You got to do a superhero flick, and you have to be fully dilated on screen. Yeah. I guess. While,
0: while, yeah. right. That, that's that's while explosions in the sky plays, and Kyle Chandler holds your hand.
1: Yeah. That's what we all have to do. And that would have made your birthday night better. If 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 I had given birth? If (laughs) Kyle Chandler had been holding your hand.
0: Um, He actually probably would have.
1: You Uh, would have been like, the star of Homefront? What are you doing here? We're getting a little off topic. Do you have any other Atlanta thoughts? Um, No, but I am interested to see how the rest of the season goes. Yeah,
0: what's Atlanta's version of, like, quote-unquote, stakes towards the end of it?
1: Because there are only, I think, two episodes left. And it was very interesting to see the dizzying heights that the show reached. And, you know, they were figuring this out as they went. And so when they were writing the season, they couldn't know that these big swings were going to work. So having a more conventional episode slot in last night made a lot of sense. But I wonder if it's affected the way people will watch the show going forward.
0: Yeah. Okay. Uh, Andy and I are going to take a quick break, and then we will be back to talk about Black Mirror. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Uniqlo. Uniqlo offers the latest women's, men's, and kids' clothing and accessories. This winter, we want you to stay warm with their line of Heat Tech clothing. Choose Heat Tech for regular winter wear, and if you're really cold, you can get that Heat Tech extra warm for those frigid days. Undershirts, you got the tights, you got socks, scarves, hats, fleeces, and even the pants that fit seamlessly into your everyday life. Products fit slim and not bulky. The moisture-wicking fabric retains heat and also features anti-odor properties to keep you feeling fresh, even when you sweat. There's nothing worse than when you're out and you're cold, but you're also sweating. That sucks. The clothes have Camellia Oil Moisturizer, which adds comfort for your dry skin. You can check all this out now. Go to Uniqlo.com or find a Uniqlo store near you. That's UN iqlo.com uniqlo lifewear simple made better Today's episode of The Watch is also brought to you by Blurb. Maybe you have friends or family that deserve a thoughtful present this holiday season. I know I do. And Blurb knows that you do, too. Blurb is a digital bookmaking platform that allows you to create, publish, share, and sell your own professional quality books from your computer, tablet, or phone. Blurb has a variety of easy-to-use formats like photo books, trade books, magazines, and ebooks. And with free built-in layouts and templates, it's never been easier to design family books, travel books, food books... And more. And if you're having an issue, Blurb has experts available to assist you every step of the way. Print one copy or many, and you can even sell your books on Amazon or the Apple iBook store Visit blurb.com/watch and enter code WATCH for 25% off your very own Blurb photo book. That's blurb.com/watch and code WATCH at checkout for 25% off. Blurb, make a book, leave your mark. All right, Andy, welcome back. Uh, welcome back. We are here Thanks, to talk man. a little bit about Black Mirror. That's the new Netflix show. Now it's not a new show; it's no. been on. It was it's a it's a British show. It was imported by I think like Audience Network or Directv a yeah. couple years ago. But this is sort of um, one of the big sensation, original sensations of the transatlantic television exchange. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was about four years
1: ago. I think the first episodes were twenty eleven. Yeah, so, so it's five years since these the show premiered. I
0: found out about this show through soccer Twitter. Um, British wow. guys would be like who I follow on Twitter who write or you know, have podcasts about soccer would be like about you know like now that match of the day is over about to tuck into the latest I'm, Black Mirror at Charlie Booker. I'm really
1: disappointed that you did not do that in full Brummy accent. You know what?
0: So uh, there's a reason for that. I do feel like I've been getting a little like I'm just <laughs> not cavalier. specific with my accent work as much. Anyway, point being is that this was a thing, to, you know, around 2011 or what like what you're saying, uh, and I, I started watching them. Quasi legally, mm. um, and I was blown away. They start to make them their way over here. Like people are watching streams of it, and then uh, Directv gets them, and then I believe Netflix got them. So they've sort of established themselves. It was initially like very much a cult show. You know, it was like you, it was like almost like a weird word of mouth thing. Despite the fact that Twitter makes word of mouth sort well, of impossible, it's like
1: it, particularly this is the the cult surrounding the show. And we should be clear, it was a very specific thing because there were three episodes it is a state an anthology show that sort of interrogates in disturbing twilight zoney ways our relationship with technology and there was one season of three episodes and there was a second season of three episodes and then last year there was a christmas special yeah. and that's
0: yeah. And if you don't know anything about it, it's an anthology series. There's usually, in the past, there were three episodes per series, is what they call them in England. They were mostly written, it was created by Charlie Brooker, who's a really interesting guy. We're both fascinated he, by him. He's, he's done he's almost anything
1: prof- you could do in like media. A yeah. professional satirist, which is not really a job that exists in America, but right. I'm glad it does. So he has a show that is, I guess you could... I would call it a much more like acidically
0: satirical version of something like John Oliver, where uh, it's called the weekly wipe, or they, they, sometimes they do an annual one. I think it's called yearly wipe. But you can see them; it's on YouTube. And
1: he also wrote some very savage uh, video game reviews. Yeah, and he wrote for
0: the Guardian. He wrote like funny. a sort of a satirical column for the Guardian. But uh, you know, he does. He, he's done. He also did a couple of other TV shows. He did. What was the one about? The one. Um, Dead Set, which was a reality show that has a zombie invasion. It's like a Big Brother style thing. And now he's got Black Mirror, and obviously Black Mirror has sort of started to grow and grow. Part of the thing that was cool about Black Mirror in the re- beginning is since so much of it is about experiencing it like you can't really talk about it's like fight club you can't talk about black mirror without yes. giving a lot of it away so people would just be like you gotta watch this yeah you have to watch this i can't so it was a, a different kind of way of talking about a show because it would be really it would suck if i was like you gotta go watch this one because this is what happens
1: you never want to know what happens you would tell people to watch it and they'd say well which one do i start with since they're not connected and you i always would say start with the first one the national anthem because the way that builds and the way your experience watching it changes Yes. As as you are watching it, is very ref- it's instructive about what the show is going to do to you. I would also say that the experience of discovering this series before it was easily available was, I think, in a way pleasurable to us, like a throwback, in the same way we used to want to get import CD singles. Sure. We would read about it in the British press and then, like, seek it out, and it felt very secretive and exciting in a way that uh, media used to and TV hasn't.
0: So Alison Herman wrote a really good piece on The Ringer about the new season, where she kind of wrestles with how hard it is to do social commentary with without being too self-important. Mm-hmm. You know, because Charlie Brooker is, like, a very um, confident and, you know, Dark. acerbic, like, yeah. you know, pundit when it comes he, to talking about, like, our
1: contemporary condition. He takes a very dim view of it.
0: But I think in, it's the same way that people kind of, like roll their eyes at sometimes what, say, like, an Oliver or or somebody says, like, in their rants. You know what I mean? When Where they
1: annihilate somebody. Yeah,
0: well, I mean, that's not John Oliver's fault. It's more like... People, I think, feel like they're getting they're preaching to the converted, or it's it's like basically like amping up the volume on something that they already feel right. So we all already know, probably. I think a lot of us know that our phones are bad for us, and the technology is sort of corrupting traditional ideas Mm -hmm. of human interaction and. You know, behavior. Uh, there's a lot of things that it's doing that are like amazing. I'm sure I haven't found any yet. Podcast, podcasts are pretty good. <laughs> it was pretty cool to be able to watch Black
1: Mirror before it was <laughs> on Yeah,
0: um, but that's what this show is about. It's about how technology is becoming this new eye of Sauron in the sky that is like just affecting everything we do.
1: So to be clear, um, there were only those six episodes plus the Christmas special. Uh, Netflix. Again, this is this is kind of what Netflix can be good for mm-hmm. they gave charlie brooker and his producing partner um a basically not a blank check but a very big check to make more now we're make, not
0: talking chris rock money we're not talking how much was that like two two comedy specials for 40 million
1: i, I love that that's a great rate yeah I, I, let me let me see if i can figure the math is that about <laughs> is that about 20 million per comedy special yeah it's terrific it's, he's underpaid um, They basically to do 12 more episodes which is nuts because that's three times the number of episodes they had uh, no sorry twice as many episodes after proving how good I was at math a second ago twice as many episodes as they had done in total to date and the way they did it was six and six and they definitely opened up the, the, the crowd a little bit more. Uh, one of the episodes in this first batch of new of episodes, half dozen that are premiering this week, um, Mike Sure from Parks and Recreation and The Good Place co wrote an episode with Rashida Jones. Yes, yeah. the, um, the cast. Joe of, Wright directed one of these new ones. And the, the cast of the the first se- two series was terrific. Um, John Hamm probably in the Christmas special is the biggest name. But, yeah, I but mean Hale, are, Haley Atwell, Donald Gleason, Rory um, Cochrane. No, yeah, Bob, Rory Cochrane. Uh,
0: not him. What's
1: his Tobias name? Tobias Menzies. Um, a lot of the people you know from British TV. Um,
0: Rory Kinnear, sorry.
1: Showed up. Ray Rory Kinnear in the first one. Dazed and confused. Um, yeah, he's, he's pretty good. The tale of two Rories. He's probably available. <laughs> he's a um, But uh, this season, you know, casts a bit of a wider net. They just announced that um, Jodie Foster is going to be directing among the second set of episodes. Mm-hmm. So as you guys could tell, this is all primer. We did not want to spoil anything. We have not watched the new episodes yet. We are psyched. To dive into them and one of the things we thought we would do since this is kind of a unique show where each episode is standalone unrelated and deserves a little bit more time we thought we could do this kind of like the book club we keep promising we'll do so this is the black mirror club the black mirror club so what we're going to suggest is we're going to talk about each one of these six episodes over the next six weeks Sure. So we can watch them.
0: Yeah. So every Thursday, I think,
1: unless, unless we have well, a real let's thin for, Let's
0: do Monday. We'll do one because we have Westworld and then we, we'll, okay. we'll do, you know, I have my own divorce podcast now, so.
1: I know. And by the way, I think it's going great. <laughs> Congratulations on that. It's uh, a solo pod. Uh, the first one we'll do is Nosedive. Dive. Okay. I thought of okay. Sandjina was the first one.
0: Actually, you're wrong. Uh, I'm looking at the list right now. And I don't mean that like in like yeah. I've debunked you. I'm just Nosedive saying. Is, is
1: episode number one? As,
0: as, as episode number one is Nosedive. Okay. So I'll Bryce be doing Dallas Howard. The, the luminous
1: Bryce Dallas Howard. San Juni- I'll do San Perro and Divorce. <laughs> I hate it when we I hate it when we fight on air. Let's, um, we wanted
0: to do this though. If you guys haven't seen it, or if you just want to argue with us, really quickly, should we just do top three? Or should we do No,
1: I think we should do it. So we wanted to so we will now talk briefly about. The existing episodes yes. of Black Mirror. Um, if you don't want to be spoiled on them, feel free to pause or fast forward because um, we're going to rank them, and we yeah. have not shared lists. No. ahead of this. So you want to go one, one, two, two, three, three? That like that? I, I think we should go. I think we should go backwards. I think we should go seven to okay. one. All right, seven to one, and then we could talk about each episode as we go. Okay. I'm I, I'm very nervous about this. because I, like, I, I feel like there is a right answer here.
0: Okay, this is interesting. My least favorite one is the Waldo moment. That's my least favorite one too. Great. It's just, it, it's just not my vibe. So I, I don't really have a ton to the, say about it. It's it's about uh, an animated character becoming a, a candidate for prime minister, right?
1: Well, for coming uh, to be an MP, right? But the idea being that his future is limitless. It's a it's a crude cartoon bear who basically raises both animated fingers to social and political propriety. Yeah, it is very relevant uh, this year in yeah. America. It is well crafted but interestingly enough it's one of those things i think that the vibe i think you're right i didn't like it that much when i watched it i didn't like it as much because of it just wasn't the vibe wasn't quite right but it's one of those pieces of art that has been made almost redundant by 2016 yeah something that we're hearing did you see that david mandel the showrunner of veep has been like we've had to start Cutting jokes from the upcoming season because they've actually happened in reality now.
0: That's really funny. Um,
1: it, it, I think Waldo moment is a sign. I think it's a great example of why Charlie Brooker is kind of a dark genius, but it's the least successful. of Yeah, sometimes of you year.
0: can be too right. Yeah, that's you right. know what I mean. Yeah. Also, uh, sometimes like British political satire is not super funny to me.
1: Although I was fascinated <laughs> by the Waldo moment that apparently when you stand for an election, you literally have to stand while they read the results wearing ribbons like oh. show ponies. So that's a cool Are thing. Are you being you guys, serious? Did, remember in the episode? Uh, the
0: next, my next least favorite mm-hmm. one, but not, not, no shots, is uh, 15 million merits.
1: You know, interesting. That is a very popular episode. Some people like that one the best. I'm not among them. That's the episode that's sort of like a, a I'm going to keep saying dystopian because that's everything <laughs> that's, on the you know, show. That's but
0: also it's, w- what reality is it, now. <laughs> it, It's
1: kind of an American Idol fame thing. I like Daniel Kaluuya a lot who stars in it. He's, uh, yeah. he was in Sicario. Why, why didn't you like that one as much? And with a caveat that we love this show.
0: Um, I guess that one was the most, like, quote, unquote, futuristic to me. Because mm-hmm. it, it, uh, I also, when I saw it, I think I was kind of a little bummed out. I, th- if, I don't remember if Idol was still huge then. But I was like, this weird, like, we're all watching uh, American Idol thing is kind of a bummer to me. Because it was too, it was too real. Sure, I guess so. I was also just like I. It was just one of those things that didn't quite connect. You'll see
1: sort of where my tastes lie, yeah, for better or for worse as we go on. My second to least favorite is White Bear, hmm. which is another episode. It's interesting. I mean, I think I've had conversations with people where every episode has been listed as their favorite, uh-huh. other than Waldo Moment. I think so. Should,
0: let's just like I just so we should just talk about the episodes as they come up and not yeah. repeat. White Bear is my favorite Black Mirror episode.
1: I was wondering about yes. that. You, yeah. you 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 poker faced me in So the
0: room. there's not a lot of um White Black Bear is not a very visceral show for the most part. Except it can this be one. very tense yeah. and depressing and anxiety producing, but I this is one of the only episodes in where they take all of the uh, sort of ideas that they have and instead of it just being like this static thing that happens over the course of say half an hour, mm-hmm. I think some of the Netflix episodes are quite quite a bit longer than that. But instead of it being static, White Bear is Unrelenting, And I, I actually thought, you know, some of the b- reveals in White Bear, which is basically a woman wakes up and she's being chased by um, a mob of her neighbors, all of whom are wearing masks and filming her with phones, and she can't figure out what's going on. And she doesn't really remember much about what's, what's happening. Uh, is just is like straight up terrifying. There's not like any, that that many layers to her terror until the very end,
1: where it, it, it becomes more terrifying. I mean, the, yes. this woman Lenora Critchlow, who's the actress, it's probably the most unrelenting and most demanding and just gutting performance in any. And this is a very gut wrenching series. Yeah, she basically screams in shock, at horror and terror for an hour. Yeah, um,
0: it's very much like the sort of like the first. the middle act of uh 28 days later where they're kind of like trying to get from the the tower block to
1: you know here's here's what i'm thinking as i'm talking to you i'm actually shifting my list only because when you're reminding me of it i think that white bear in many ways is the best idea of any of it i think it is the most complicated and the most in some level devastating idea because it it Interrogates our desire to be spectators, but also a desire we have for "quote unquote" justice and punishment, right? Um, all at once. So, in many ways, it's the biggest. It's the biggest idea. It might be the best, and it's also the most difficult idea. And I think that for me, the way that the twist occurs, the way it flips, didn't entirely work. Sure. In execution, although interestingly, and I rewatched it, um, which was tough <laughs> <laughs> this week. Um, the – it's one of those episodes where the, the credits come up and then there's a few flashes of extra scenes mm-hmm. that fleshes it out and extends it. And it's one of those things where it actually the repetition of the idea, this is an ongoing nightmare, yeah um, worked for me more. It balanced that at the end. And it also made me realize that that idea is essentially the idea of the Christmas special. Right. So there's a little bit of repetition. I would actually – We'll move on. But as we're talking, just the fact that the idea is so audacious and terrifying, it's probably better than 15 million merits, which in some ways is successful because it's such an uh, it's not obvious idea, but it's a much more um, palatable and understandably immediate idea.
0: Yeah. And like I said, it's that's my favorite one. Uh, What's your next one?
1: White Christmas. Um, Yeah,
0: I think that's about right for me.
1: I I think the thing about White Christmas is, is worth mentioning. There's a tradition. It's very quaint and very sweet. British tradition that I'm into which is the idea of a Christmas special. Yeah. With Downton
0: does it, Sherlock does it, sh- lots of shows do it, yeah.
1: These short seasoned shows, they come back for a special based around the holiday and...
0: Can you imagine what an ER Christmas special would do right now?
1: It's a great point. If Instead of just resurrecting things for yeah. unnecessary 12, years, Christmas episode,
0: special would be like... Just Come
1: on. I mean, if the contracts were easier to do... Um, well,
0: I mean, like, if you can sign anybody... I mean, Ted Danson is available, right?
1: <laughs> Ted Danson was at the debate yeah. last night. Did yeah, you see that? I did. He ran. I was like... God, was wow. Vince Neil at the debate, debate last night? I didn't know if that... My assumption, because of the, the, the literal flaming clown car that was around that side of the, the, the room, I assumed it was a Vince Neal impersonator because I couldn't get the real one, but they probably could get the real one. Well wow. It certainly looked like him. I thought it was Cato Kaelin for a minute. Anyway... The thing, the, the degree of difficulty for the White Christmas episode was high because they had to essentially make a Christmas episode and then also make a Black Mirror episode. It's incredibly clever the way they did it. Um, I really liked the twists and reveals in that one. Mm-hmm. I liked the fundamental idea that we won't get too into, but it's an idea that was in also in the end of this video game that Jason Concepcion told me about, this idea that where you basically have to reboot yourself, mm-hmm. but if you do, a copy of you will exist trapped in the bad place. Right. Um, John Hamm is terrific in it because I think they wrote it for him. It it's a Christmas special and it spends as much time on horrific future visions as it does roasting. I'll be potatoes. really interested to
0: watch the so. next few episodes because I know that there are some bigger names. There is Bryce Dallas Howard, Mackenzie Davis is in one of these episodes. There are some bigger names in these. Mm-hmm. Typically, what happened with Black Mirror when you were watching it? For a lot of the people in it, I had never seen Haley Atwell really before. I had never seen uh, Toby Kebbell like that before. Like, in, he's in an episode we'll talk about yeah. soon. Um, Jessica Finley, Jessica oh, Brown yeah. Finley was in, you know, fifteen million merits. Um, so it was almost a little bit jarring to have a. To like adjust to John Hamm being in this world, yeah. Not right? just
1: not just a star, but an American star. Yeah, exactly. Um, they wrote it to him. I mean, he yeah. was doing um, Draperish things, and that was sort of in a, a Black Mirror meta way. But yeah. but I agree with you. It'll be interesting. It, it'll be interesting to s- take it outside of the British repertory company that is British Television, where these incredible, gifted theater actors will take the fifth lead in an hour long anthology series. Yes, um, and, and be very unshowy. About Grace Ball's also awesome, my dude. Love that guy. Race Ball's great.
0: Uh, The next one I had was... This is number four? Yeah. I'm going to say The Entire History of You, which I know is a crowd favorite, but in the same way that you found White Bear difficult to watch, I think I find Entire History of You difficult to watch. I find it hard to watch. This is Toby Kebbell. It's basically about a guy who we wind up getting devices or apps in our eyes that record everything that we experience. Mm-hmm. And you can this guy uses it to l- repeat and re-relitigate arguments with his girlfriend mm-hmm. uh over and over and over again. And it's basically like if you ever find yourself being crippled with the way some technologies bring out the very worst parts of you, mm-hmm. this is the logical extension of that. Uh it didn't I, I, I respect the shit out of it. Don't ever want to watch it again.
1: <laughs> I would struggle with watching it again, too. I think that, for me, it's, that's my number two episode. Um, and I think that it, along with the one that's my number one, are the best arguments for this series because they are brilliant extrapolations of who we are now. Um, of what we're capable of and what we're driven by and the desire to document everything, to have proof of everything, to live every experience um, through the prism of a black mirror or of a screen Um, that also with the sort of delivered with a sort of perfect clarity of a short story I found really moving. Um, Side note, the entire History of You episode is the one that was optioned by Robert Downey Jr. to potentially yeah. be a standalone film. I don't know if that's happening. I don't know where that is. The guy who wrote that episode um, created a new TV show for HBO called Succession that's coming up um, that I believe has nothing to do with eye implants. But you know, you never know. <laughs> you can
0: only hope. I think we're going to probably be able to, to get through this last bit. So we already, I think National Anthem we've already talked about. National Anthem is,
1: was my number three. Yeah. Oh, we're in the same place? Yeah. And then what was your... Na- National Anthem... Is the one about the pig. Yeah. It's the one you should watch first. You should um, just
0: leave, Let's just leave it at that. Although I would say that not all of the episodes are as uh, in your face as that one. It, it, Some it's of them just, are more subtle.
1: It's just such a perfect introduction to what this is and what yeah. it could be, and I never want to watch it again either. I don't know if I want to watch any of these again, to be honest. I tried with White Bear. Um, n- my number two is Entire History of You. That's my number two as well. Um didn't you just say that was your number four? No, number...
0: No, I'm... No, sorry. I'm saying Be Right Back.
1: Be Right Back is my number one. Okay. Uh, be Right Back is Haley Atwell, Donald Gleason. Um, it, it's essentially... A, a, it's a two-hander. It's <laughs> those two actors, and they're tremendous. And that is the one that suggests that, you know, all of the information that we're putting out into the world for free about ourselves, our likes, our dislikes, who we are, what we look like, can basically be collated into recreating us yes. should something happen to us. Yeah. Um, That's also this. I that that's the one that feels to me like mythic and iconic and totemic because the ideas at play are essential to fiction.
0: The performances are also extraordinary in that, and I think it goes a long way in making it feel very real. This idea that, like, in this day and age, there's nothing there's no such thing as lack of presence, that you can feel the constant presence of someone else. So, why would death stop that is probably much closer than we think.
1: And it's very haunting and very upsetting. But it, what I mean, though, is this idea that, like, one of the oldest stories you could ever tell is, could I bring someone I love back from right. the dead? And what is the cost of that? So to take what, you know, for other generations might be a ghost story and make it a story about technology is, for me, the promise of what the show could be and was and what yeah. it successfully did.
0: Uh, Andy, to wrap things up today, we want to talk a little about one of our favorite bands Yeah, collectively, uh, Jimmy World, who have a new album out tomorrow, Integrity Blues. And um,
1: I'll talk a little bit more about that album with uh, special guests, front frontman of the band, Jim Atkins, who's coming in. Coming into AG Pod it next week, and we'll talk I'll about the new the album. I'll be
0: on the Divorce Pod talking to, uh, <laughs> you know. Are we breaking um, up? So, you know, you guys will talk more about the new album, but I just went down the Jimmy World rabbit hole the other day. Yeah. Uh, and really, really, really found, got, got, got caught up in my feelings on that one.
1: That is a band that is capable of doing that. It is a... The thing that fascinates me about this band, and I'm saying this as someone who wrote a book that was largely about them, um, it is such an odd and unique career because we both first encountered this band um, in the late 90s. Mm -hmm. They were sort of a poster child of an attempted exploitation it was a of, major
0: label heat check first because I that, think that I they mean. were basically kids from Arizona the,
1: basically there was a moment signed
0: to DGC uh,
1: capital. capital so what, what happened was the first that first 90s emo wave that you were you were, you were right front and center the
0: jawbreaker dear you post nirvana like people getting signed wave yeah.
1: and then people basically my understanding of it is major labels came swarming to um, bands like Promise Ring and, and maybe Get Up Kids because they were sort of percolating mm-hmm. and they were rebuffed and so then they were like well who's one tier down And jimmy world where these literally their kids they're a year older than us um had put out a indie album in arizona and like toured with mineral and christy front drive and got signed to Capitol. yeah put out a record that was mildly received static prevails it, and it then ec- made
0: statically received on my part but yes but
1: then made essentially a masterpiece right called clarity And And I was
0: telling a friend of mine about this the other day that, uh, there was like this time period around that, around that time when if you knew guys in bands and they knew booking agents and they knew people maybe at small record labels, um, advanced cassettes of albums would circulate. I remember you had girls can tell by spoon way before it came out.
1: That's cause that's cause Brit, when he was super depressed and dropped from, from his major label. Gave me a CDR. Well, this of is it. the
0: same kind of situation where they made Clarity. Yeah, and I remember a couple of my friends had it, and we would just listen to it nonstop in their their band's van wherever we were going, like playing shows in yeah. Providence or wherever in Worcester. And it would just be like there. I think that the rationale behind the Clarity at that point was like this is probably the last record we'll ever make, so we're just going to go for it.
1: And to listen to that record now, I mean, I it was, for me it was more like they were like it was like a folk tale. Like they had made this great record, and everyone talked about how Lucky Denver meant the single got on the soundtrack of Never Been Kissed. Like, <laughs> that was going to break it for them. Yeah. Now, the comment I made to you yesterday was if you worked at a major label between 1998 and 2005 and you didn't get Lucky Denver Mint or work from their album Futures into the top 10, just just end it. Yeah. Just 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 quit. Don't play shuffleboard. But the prob- the truth is if you worked at a major label then you probably are playing shuffleboard, <laughs> but these were great big melodic pop rock songs that had a real heft, real weight to them, and they were great, and it got zero. It got zilch, it got nothing. Yeah. It got them dropped. Yeah, yeah. And then they crowdfunded their next record by touring. Bleed American. Uh, and made Bleed American, which came out right around 9-11 and had a song called The Middle and they they blew up. Yeah. And that album went platinum. And Sweetness is on that too. And Sweetness is on that. One of the greatest songs of the last twenty years. Right. In fact you listen to these songs but I can't believe how perfect the best these songs song are. on there is Praise Course. Praise chorus. I mean, if you don't, don't. up there too. But a praise chorus. These songs that for us are essential, not just because they're like big-hearted pop rock songs, but because they are essentially about being a certain age and yeah, loving music they are, and like, referring they to music. They have all of the
0: mechanics and the dynamics of um, emo pop punk stuff that was happening at that time. But then they are infused with not only like Breakfast Club soundtrack mel- melodicism, but like Breakfast Club emotional yes. content, where it's like very. Easy to track, but like subtly detailed narrative beats throughout the songs.
1: But let me say what is we're gonna. I want to come back and just give you the floor to do your argument for why Futures is, (laughs) and it's a correct argument. Is just a lost masterpiece, the post-hit album, post the middle. But I think that Jimmy World is fascinating precisely because of the fact that they are not interesting. Other than their music, their music is. There's a ton to unpack there, and it's a joy to listen to. But they are caught in that that middle ground place that some other bands we could think of have fallen into, where there is no story to write or tell about it other than, boy, that's a good song. It's the same four guys. Jim Adkins has been married to his wife for a number of years, by all accounts, happily. They have three sons. They live in a mid-century modern home that was beautifully profiled in <laughs> Phoenix New Times a few years ago. This is not the stuff of rock and roll legend or whatever. Yeah. And they're consistent. They keep making great records. He keeps writing good songs. Um, You know, I I think parts of Chase This Light from 2008, um, Invented from 2010, right up there with all the best songs they've ever done. But what is the story to tell? And because of that, they just keep going. I'm sure they're happy with that. When I interviewed them for my emo book, I remember talking to Jim Adkins like he was some elder sage. Yeah, right. He was 26. Like it was
0: Van Morrison or something.
1: But he was 26-year-old, and he was basically like, I don't know, man, I just like writing songs. And I was like, give me a, give me a scrap here. <laughs> just tell me one time you had too yeah. many Rolling Rocks or yeah. something.
0: He, he. I mean, I think he, uh, so the thing that's interesting about Futures, which, so Clarity Is, is it like the most
1: passionate album ever written about John Kerry? That's the
0: thing. <laughs> Clarity... Fleet American Futures is just a, an incredible run, great run, and Futures is like it's really, really weird to listen to the title song of Futures because it's really fired up about John Kerry.
1: Yeah, I think I think he wrote it in 2003 when it's just like, man, the dream team, Howard <laughs> Dean. we got we got Senator John Edwards, we're gonna take down George Bush. Um,
0: but. There's a lot of really great songs on Futures, which is a sort of dark, a sort of dark record. It's also great because a lot of these bands, when they uh, after they made like whatever their mile breakthrough was, you know, what Bleed American, um, a lot of these bands were like, you know, their label was like anything you want, kid. What, yep. what can I get you? And They're like, we want the guy who engineered Doolittle to do our record. <laughs> so it was like all these Gil Norton and Glenn Johns productions and yeah. these smaller bands. Um, Futures sounds incredible, and it has. Probably one of the top five pop rock songs. There's like a degree of entitlement that comes along with power pop where everybody's just like, if it was a more just world, Tommy Keen would have had a hundred number one (laughs) hits. And it's like, but he didn't, you know what I mean? And it's like, you would have invented Facebook if you were going to invent Facebook, but there is a world in which work by yeah. Jimmy Eat World yes. should be one of the classic pop it, rock songs It should songs be the, the national anthem 15 of the United years. States It of is so good, despite, God bless her, and I love her, these really weird Liz Fair backing vocals on it's that song. It's so weird. It's really weird, right? But that was also like,
1: let's get, that's that's a, that's just reflective of who these guys were. They're like, we just went platinum. Do you platinum. think Liz Fair heard that song get before she sang Fair. on it? I don't think she knows she sang on it. Yeah. I don't think she ever met those guys but she definitely is on that song. That that's album so awesome
0: that Liz Fair sings
1: BVs on that. Futures is a very that's a good album for me. That was I mean when you, I think when people are 27, 27 is generally a transitional year. Sure, that's when that return to came Saturn, out for
0: me. Saturn's return. That's when it, yeah,
1: that's when it starts, pops off. You know, yeah. it is a incredibly dark and beautiful album for a bunch made by a bunch of guys who are relatively uncomplicated. Um, we should definitely throw together a playlist that we'll share on Twitter, put on Spotify of our favorite Jimmy World Sure, songs. But I, you know it's it's funny to come up against the limits of music criticism and just basically, I mean, we're just being fans at this point. But the narrative, doesn't work but the body of work yeah. 20 years yeah. is pretty unimpeachable they and don't I'm have sure they're
0: happy they're not with. big enough to need to have to do what like you two does which is like every five years be like we're back to save rock and roll sir <laughs> thank you for that <laughs> excuse me mr president we're back to save rock and roll
1: just by the way, you just saved the podcast too, right. in the in eleventh the hour. You
0: can find me on a cold tile floor of a bathroom somewhere in Los Angeles. <laughs> somewhere this in the Southland, we should tap out on this one. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, watch Black Mirror. We'll be talking about Nosedive on Monday along with Westworld. I got Mad Orion theories, my dude. Mad theories. I can't wait. Um, um, and I'll see you then. Good job, Redski. Right? <laughs>